So today we're going to talk about the one and only Ringo Starr. A star before he entered the Beatles, a star within the Beatles, and a star now, right? Absolutely. A class act, a funny guy, a caring person, a whimsical artist, an intuitive photographer, and a musical innovator. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the one and only. I, I'm just still glowing. I saw him live way back in September of 2018 and I'm still glowing from that show. And when I say I saw him, I actually want to be accurate and give credit to the whole band. I saw the All-Star Band, which we'll go into in this episode. I do want to talk about his signature style a bit because it's insane that people still don't know what makes his technique so special. But I also mostly want to talk about how the fandom tends to have a lot of misconceptions about him as a person and how authors and journalists as well as fans have kind of failed to give him the respect he deserves, not only as a musician, but also as a man. To be honest, he gets such short shrift in all of the Beatles bios that I don't, I don't really know that much. You have to dig. Like... You really do. Yeah. No, well, there's barely even a... I don't think there's even a bio. Maybe there's one bio, but I don't even know if it's any good. And I'm not talking about, like, the tune-in, the early life. Right. I'm talking... Just, like, a... The Life and Times of Ringo Starr. There's, like, a million biographies about the other Beatles. Yeah. But nothing about Ringo. Somebody really needs to do one. I mean, like, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's, like, a big deal. He's a knight now. He got knighted last year. He's a fucking knight. He's Sir Ringo. Damn. (laughs) Well, another thing I've noticed about how he's treated by authorship and the fandom is that he's often, like, either infantilized or emasculated. Have you noticed that? Oh, God. Yes. It's like he's a little mascot or a pet or something. Men who think they're funny, when they make a Beatles joke, they'll be like, whoa, and throw the scraps to Ringo. Yeah. Or something like that. Like, he's always sort of just the butt of the joke. Right. Like, he's in that Beatles cartoon. I'm thinking of, like, a family. There was some stupid family guy, little cutaway. Yeah, that type of thing. Yeah, where they're like, (laughs) oh, Ringo, you wrote a song, we're going to stick it on the refrigerator. I guess. Well, and the irony is that, like, all the other Beatles love him so much. Oh, my God. Too. They all adore him. And they all worked with like, him after the Beatles broke up. Right. <laughs> Three of the other guys were like, yeah, let's do stuff together, Ringo. I think a lot of that stems from how he was portrayed in things like the Beatles cartoon and Help and A Hard Day's Night. But mostly the Beatles cartoon. He was kind of the fall guy. Like, they just have him being like, <laughs> Hey guys, goofy idiot. That that one is terrible. Uh, That one where he's like, he's literally walking in a wall. He's like worse than Homer Simpson. Yes, yeah, he has like no lucidity or intention whatsoever with how he goes about things in the Beatles cartoon. He's just Ringo bobbing along. (laughs) I would say that all four of the guys' characters and personalities are really oversimplified in the two main films, The Hard Day's Night and Help, but... sure. I feel like people are able to see that the movie version of the other guys is clearly a one-dimensional dimensional <laughs> caricature, but like in Ringo's right. case, they just buy into the caricature of him. It's funny because in A Hard Day's Night, he's he's sort of like a sad sack. You yeah. know, he's like the lonely... And there's all this stuff about how they, p- they pick on him. Yeah. Which, which they don't at all. No. I don't know how that got put in, but whatever. <laughs> um... He's also, like, the focus of the movie. You know? Yeah. Like the movie's following him, and he gets the most lines, and that type of stuff. That's true. He gets to be showcased as the star, but at the same time, all the guys are kind of ganging up on him. Yeah. it's. I mean, he's got to have some antagonist, you know? It's like, right. I mean, it's a, you know, like, it's just a plot device. Mm-hmm. But as you said, you know, it's like people, it's like people saw A Hard Day's Night, and they assumed it was real or something. Right. They thought it was a documentary. <laughs> they thought it was, yeah, exactly. They thought it was a documentary. Even it's though they like, have like a fake manager and a fake roadie. That's not yeah. real. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That might be where that whole trope of like Ringo getting picked on by the others came from. Oh, yeah. Because it's not reality. But I never would get that. Like every time I hear a dude make that joke, I'm like, it, it just seems so strange right (laughs) like out of nowhere but maybe that's it maybe it's from a hard day's night that they thought that 
they would just sort of tell Ringo to shut up and go and sit in the corner. (laughs) 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 Which is like not anywhere near close to their real dynamic, but okay. Right, right. (laughs) I think also you've got the unfortunate thing now where like in the media they sort of cobble together sound bites of him being like pace and love so you get that without any context and people think that's all he is i mean he just kind of does a showbiz thing yeah it, where, where he's just like whatever dicks right you know, peace out and then walks away which is not, i love know. how like shady I mean, what else are you gonna say <laughs> right you know? i actually love how much of a smart ass he can be with reporters oh, he's the best i I think he, he throws I so mean, much shade. <laughs> he, he gets my vote as funny as Beatles. Yeah, right? same. I want to highlight how cool it was that this was a band where they were like, we're going to have our drummers sing as well. Like, bands didn't do that. Bands didn't include the drummer in anything other than, like, just do a backbeat. The fact that they actually were like, okay, here's Ringo. You know, like, he has a really charming voice. He does have kind of a limited vocal range, and so they would actually write tunes specifically for him to sing. I think that's remarkable. That shows how much they respected him as a person. Yeah. Well, and how popular he was. That he had to have a number where he was singing and where he was featured because the Ringo fans would fucking go apeshit if they didn't get at least one song where he's front and center. And, like, if you've seen the footage of him tearing away at the drums while he's singing, oh my god, like, people don't understand how hard it is to do a vocal and a complicated drum part at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. when he's doing Boys live, that's just... And he, he yeah. still does it that good, too, at 78. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he still does it. Like, it was in the set at the show I was at, and he still tore it up like crazy. Okay, so my thesis here is that Ringo is a really intentional person, and he's a really creative and innovative musician. He's someone who's not afraid to go outside of his comfort zone. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this is a person who's, with his background, the way he grew up, the level of poverty he grew up in, the amount of childhood illnesses this guy survived, If he chose to live in fear and take the safer route in life, um, nobody would give him a hard time for it. But dude chose to take a lot of risks in order to design the life he wanted. And that is so ballsy to me. Like, I think he really had a lot of courage. I think Mm -hmm. he knew that what he was doing was risky, but he did it anyway because that's what he wanted to do. I also think that he's a really emotionally intelligent person and he seems to intuitively understand people on that emotional level. He like he's talked about all the other Beatles and like their personalities and why they are the way they are in like I wouldn't say a ton of detail, but enough detail to let me know that he's got a pretty nuanced understanding of how all of them tick. The the way he talks about each of them with like so much love and respect oh yeah and understanding because it's one thing to like it's like of course he knows them yeah because they worked together for a long time and they were all shoved up against each other for years you know but like he respects them too you know it's not it's not just like he knows them in like a forced kind of scenario but like he cares about them and he respects what makes each man the man that he is. Yes. You know, and he can speak to all those factors in all of those people. Didn't John have a quote about if Ringo was on your side, you knew you were right? I think it's just because, like, he would make an effort because he loves all of them, you know? Yeah. He doesn't just love one of them. He loves all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. So he would make an effort to see whatever it is from everybody's point of view. Any sort of feedback that he gave would be in the interest of making peace and like showing everybody respect and love. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I don't know if that's true or if I, I think just made it, up. No, some I shit. think it's true. 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And a very, very, very good welcome to the Edge Hill Social Club. Aye, aye. Your hosts for this evening is us, per usual. It's the Tommy Catherine. All right, everybody, keep it shining your nose and your clothes clean. Another thing I like about Ringo is that he's so diverse. He has a lot of different interests and people, I think Beatles fans know or Ringo fans know, but not a lot of people know that he is a really good photographer. He's been in films, like he acted in several films and he also does this adorable, whimsical, wonderful visual art. He does digital art and some of it is funny and some of it's cute and some of it's just like kind of like screen printing like punk rocky <laughs> stuff like yeah. stuff you'd see on a zine <laughs> like it's so interesting and different i'll kind of compare him with paul a little bit here musically he loves playing a variety of musical styles. He's extremely yeah. versatile as a musician. Yeah. And I actually think that's why, one of the reasons, many reasons why he and Paul played so well together as a rhythm section. Yeah. And why he and Paul really respect each other as musicians to this yeah. day. Oh. Dude, that is my number one turn off is like a musician who only plays one thing. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Like diversify, yes. come on. Yeah, hard pass. So I want to talk a little bit about Ringo joining the Beatles, but I don't want to harp on it too long. And I don't think that the Beatles would have, I think they would have been a successful band in England, but I honestly don't think they'd be the big worldwide cultural paradigm shifting phenomenon that they became if they didn't have all four of those guys together, those specific guys. And I think that portion of it has been settled, but the reason I bring that up is so many people that I've seen are like, oh, Ringo was just a lucky guy. He was just there at the right time, but he's not a good drummer. And that's kind of why I wanted to say that. He wasn't just a lucky guy who happened to chance upon fame. He wasn't installed because the other Beatles were jealous of Pete's good looks and he was getting all the girls. Like I've seen that actually printed in books. <laughs> yeah. With, Especially, it's always Paul. Right. It's like Paul was so jealous that Pete was getting all the girls because Pete was so such a hottie. That <laughs> like, yeah. what? Well, first of all, Pete was not getting more girls than Paul. No, so yeah, that's nobody was getting please. more girls than Paul. Please. We all have eyes, and we all know that Pete was not banging more chicks than Paul McCartney. Absolutely. A. And then B, like, and, beca and because, because he's getting more chicks, Paul has him fired. Right. Like whatever. <laughs> Jesus. I've heard guys like in fandom authorship say really gross things about like Ringo's appearance versus Pete Best and how it must have been a strategic move to have someone less attractive than the other three so the other dudes wouldn't lose oh, all the chicks. God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, wow. and I'm sorry, but let me be a thirsty bitch for a second. Ringo was and still is a gorgeous guy. He has yeah. stone cold piece of ass. Right. He has, he's very bangable. Just as much sex appeal and um, is still every bit as gorgeous and charming as the other guys. So, like, I wish people would stop saying that. The point is, he was asked to join because they liked his performances. <laughs> they liked him. It's not the point. However, it is also false. <laughs> well, I, I want to put it out there. Because here's the thing there's not a lot of women who like men voices in the fandom. There's not any men who like men voices in the fandom, which I wish there would be. That would be awesome. Yeah. If we had... You know what? That's a good... You, that's an excellent point. Where, like, Nobody... It's, it's like a bunch of straight guys telling us who's the most attractive. I know. It's like, fuck off, straight guys. Leave us alone. Like, I'm yeah, going to like who really I like. Yeah, really need to back the... Please don't mansplain... Like, who is the sexiest beetle? I know, that is the weirdest Jesus thing Christ. about this phantom to me. It's one of the weirdest things. 
Can, can you just back off of one fucking topic, right? Please? Like, let us have one just goddamn listen. thing. Fuck off, yeah. straight you're, guys. You don't know. Yeah, you're out of your depth, dudes. <laughs> yeah, like stay in your lane. Yes, for God's sake. <laughs> well, they own the whole road. <laughs> so the point is, Ringo was asked to join because the Beatles liked him. They really liked his performances with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, which were the most popular band in Liverpool at the time, and because they liked his personality, they enjoyed spending time with him. <laughs> so, like, something about Pete Best that probably I hope people know by now is that Pete liked to kind of fuck off and go home right after the show. Like, yeah. to him, it was like a job and it was time to clock out. Bye. Um, so, like, Ringo liked the guys and he would chill with them. And when his band and their band were in Hamburg at the same time, he would chill out and listen to their sets. And he'd actually holler out requests for songs when they were both performing. And so they hung out together. They enjoyed each other a lot. And he was one of them. Yeah. And I, th I think they knew that from the beginning mm -hmm. of their relationship with him. And they chose him because they liked him. Yeah. And because they knew he would add way more than just a beat to their music. And he was a special talent and they knew it. I mean, you know when you have chemistry with people. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget that Pete Best was selected originally because he knew them and he had gotten a drum kit. Right. <laughs> like, it was like he this, was. This, yeah. He, they were mostly, they were mostly tight with Mona, his mom, who ran the Casbah Club. Mona's kid, who has a drum kit. Yeah. I mean, no shade to Pete. Yeah, you know, no disrespect. We're not here to, like, to, you know, bash Pete or anything. Yeah, and that's There's a good... nothing wrong with Pete. That's a great segue into my next point, where there's... Not, I wouldn't say contentious debate or anything, but I've heard a lot of conversation about the whole Ringo versus Pete thing, and there's no disrespect intended to Pete Best here. I think he was an all-around decent, good guy. He just wanted to drum his drums, and I wouldn't say he was necessarily a bad drummer, but was he the right drummer for them? Yeah, no. that, that's the only question that's important, really. Yeah. So I don't think he was even close to being the right drummer for them. In the I long mean, term, if you're dating somebody and you break up, it doesn't mean that that person is trash. <laughs> you know, it's right. just like sometimes yeah. relationships don't work out. Exactly. It, you know, and funny enough, the whole like he's just a simple guy who just wants to play his drums um, is how Ringo is often portrayed in Beatles bios and how a lot of the fans look at him. But well, you know, there's also, I mean, I've made this point before too which is that there's a perception of Ringo as if he's stupid yeah which is a joke because Ringo's definitely not stupid you yeah know, he might not be the smartest guy in that band but like he's in a band with very smart people right you know so it's so even if he's the dumbest in the Beatles he's still smarter than like way smarter than your average person yeah so i mean perspective here right and this is a guy who you know barely is barely educated mm -hmm. yeah right? he, he spent a lot of his time in the hospital as a child when I, they weren't yeah. really expecting a yeah, long life out of him to die like four times right so and he probably has what like i don't know like a like a junior high education or something mm -hmm. something like that the whole thing that's completely ignored about him is that he has an infectious and charming personality, a lot of charisma. A lot of wit. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He is so sharp. Like, he's, Yeah, he's not, he's not he's, running into walls funny. Yeah. He's not the dopey. He doesn't do, like, you know, pratfalls or whatever. Yeah. He's witty. Yeah, he's quick with a joke, and he's also quick to throw shade. Like, he's cutting. Yeah, you have to be in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you have to be in the neighborhood where he grew up, which was the toughest neighborhood. The, which, I mean, I always laugh when I say the name of his neighborhood because it doesn't sound tough. <laughs> right? The Dingle. Yeah. The Dingle. <laughs> the Dingle. Yeah. I like, but no, the Dingle, you don't want to fuck around in the Dingle. So he grew yeah. up in a dumpster, okay? Yeah. John grew up on the nice side of the golf course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like night and day in a, in a house that it's had like its own name <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> a named house 
that's the most bourgeois thing. <laughs> of course, and Ringo can keep up with John. So let me mm-hmm. just, let's just put that out there. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And like, let's also not forget that he was already an innovator when he was in Rory Storm. He was already coming up with his own unique drumming patterns. He already knew how to work a crowd. He was an established career musician and the other guys looked up to him. Yeah. Like they thought he was really mature. They thought he was like he really had his shit together. He was a grown-up. They were even a little bit intimidated by him. Mhm. He looks cool. He's wearing he looks- a suit. Oh god, yeah, like, he's got his shit together, he grew in a beard. beard. I'm not saying that the Beatles weren't a good band, even when they still had Pete, too. They had put in their 10,000 hours, and the front line of Paul, George, and John was a really tight front line. They had amazing chemistry together. Yeah. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that they didn't have that chemistry with Pete, and that Pete's specific presence wasn't really adding to that. (laughs) Stuart... <laughs> or Stuart. What about the vital component of Stuart Seckler? <laughs> oh my he god. He was vital to the Beatles sound. So I do think Ringo did absolutely add to the powerhouse of chemistry that they already had. Like he augmented it times a million. Oh yes. He oh, fit god, them yeah. like a glove and they fit him like a glove. It was just absolutely. a win win for everyone. Oh, what is there that that beautiful quote from Paul where he was like that first time that we all kind of like locked in together we Uh, all four of us started playing and he's like oh shit what is this me john george were on the front line singing which we usually were and now behind us we had this guy that we'd never played with before and i remember the moment when he started playing we started i think it was like ray charles what did i say and most of the drummers couldn't nail the drum part but we were nailed it so yeah, we got nailed it. And I remember the moment, just standing there and looking at John, and then looking at George, and the look on our faces was all like, fuck you. <laughs> what is this? And that, that was the moment, you know, that was the beginning, really, of the Beatles. Anyway. You know, like they'd been calling themselves the Beatles, but they really were the Beatles for real when Ringo joined the band. Well, he has like, um, you know, there's a looseness to his playing yeah. at the same time that he has like the perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, you can't sort of bottle that. It's very hard yeah. to be like, to be loose and be tight at the same time. Yeah. I love how you frame that too. And and Paul is kind of like that too, though. You yeah, know? it's like Paul is—he always keeps it super tight, but it's like in that framework, he really like lets go. Oh yeah, the, the the two of them have crazy chemistry. I think. Yeah. So, like, I think Ringo really liked them, and he rather willingly joined them when he already had a steady paying gig that was a pretty sure thing for him. You know, they were at Butlin's holiday camp, him and the Hurricanes. And that was a pretty good gig for a local band back then. He was making money. He had a lot of professional clout. He had a lot of respect in that music scene. He was super popular in the most popular band. And he was nice enough to give them a little bit of notice. (laughs) Say, hey, I'm noping (laughs) out. I'm going with the Beatles. Sorry, yo. Um... He didn't have to ruminate over the decision. Like, he said himself that he loved that front line. Like, those are his words. He was like, you know, John, Paul, and George, I just love that front line. He saw something really special in them. He wanted to be a part of it. And I think that's also a really special thing. I would like to argue and put forth the thesis that for most of his life, he lived very intentionally. And what I mean by that is that he worked hard to recover from the ailments that he experienced as a young person. And if anyone knows what recovery is and how to do it, it's Ringo. Um, People who haven't been ill for long periods of time or haven't had loved ones in that situation have no idea how hard someone has to actually work and how resilient they need to be in order to come back from something like that. 
and he not only did it multiple times as a child growing up, but he had to do it again as an adult. And he knows how to overcome adversity and shine. So we all know that he was inspired into music by playing kind of this rehabilitative music game in the hospital when he was a preteen. And he always wanted to play the drum. And when he got out, he became obsessed with becoming a drummer. And guess what Ringo did? <laughs> he became a fucking drummer. And not only did he become a drummer, he became the world's most influential rock and roll drummer that ever was. Oh my god, he did what? He made a drum kit out of goddamn biscuit tins. Well, here's the thing, he didn't have any money. Um, he realized he couldn't afford much, so he learned really early on how to be very innovative and creative and how to get the most variety of sound out of minimal equipment. So mm -hmm. it's not like he could go to the music shop and buy a whole drum kit. He had to be mm -hmm. really creative and think outside of the box from the start. Necessity is the mother of invention. And another example of Ringo being intentional in his living to me is that when it came time to make that ultimate decision about his career trajectory, so not joining the Beatles, but becoming a musician, when he began playing with bands and he got himself established as a local musician, he was also at an age where he was eligible to begin an apprenticeship as a pipe fitter, which I know to most listeners might sound like a really simple blue-collar job, but in his... In his demographic and where he grew up, it would be a huge upgrade for him. For sure. Yeah, guaranteed secure income. He'd be able to support a family off of it. Um, I would imagine it was likely a union job with some kind of benefits package. Yeah, most people wouldn't turn that down now. Right. So there was this kind of like dinner table intervention <laughs> with his family. Uh, not just his parents, but like his extended family. And he was actually engaged to a young lady at the time. And that didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> but his fiance at the time, they were trying to persuade him Aww. really seriously to take this fucking pipe fitting job. And, you know, like yeah. I, in their particular situation, it was the more sensible thing to do. Sure. And like he said at that moment, he made a conscious decision that for him it was going to be being a musician or nothing so just imagine having your whole family sitting you down at the table and being like no this is not smart you need to do this and you're like no i'm going to be comfortable taking this risk and i'm yeah. going to go outside of the comfort zone well he must have had a lot of confidence in himself because yeah. that that is a crazy thing to do it is and I'm, aren't we glad he did it though because i think he knew it was going to be a slog but I think he was willing and committed to go through with it. It's the same theme. When he returned from rehab in 1989, when he got out of that, he that's when he formed the All-Star Band. And you have to remember that this guy hadn't really actually toured since he'd been with the Beatles. So 1966, and this was 1989. So this is like 23 years of not actually living the tour life. And, but he just kind of knew that with his celebrity's income and the fact that he had access to every mind-altering substance on the planet and celebrities are surrounded by enablers who aren't gonna like tell them no, he needed some kind of project and some kind of goal to aspire to and something to bring purpose to his life. And like when he and his wife Barbara had gotten really deep into their substance abuse problems, he'd kind of gotten a bit lost. So I think that his thing was, since he was a musician, why not begin actively making music again, and why not form a band? And I think this was a fantastic idea, as he's now 30 years sober, and the band itself is, it's always a rotating lineup, but it's celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year. So in his lifestyle choices, his projects, his relationships, the charities and causes he spearheads with Barbara. I think he's a very intentional and intelligent person. And so I don't want to hear another word about how he's some silly, goofy, lucky goober who happened to luck upon the Beatles. <laughs> another thing I love about him is that he has a long-running track record of being a really compassionate and socially aware, socially progressive person. 
So in October of 1964, the Beatles did an interview for Playboy. Um, in which George and Ringo spend most of their time trolling the interviewer for being randomly homophobic for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't read it, you can find it on the Beatles interview database. It's highly recommended. Very funny. Mm-hmm. The guys are great in it and they do troll him. Um, so at one point, the interview asked them if they'd met various women who were connected with the Profumo sex scandal. And Ringo says he met April Ashley. And for those who don't know, April Ashley was a trans woman. And it's not connected, really, I don't think, with Profumo. No, not at all. He just like, kind he of just like. He just brought her up. Yeah, he just brought her up. So I really appreciate and I found it really notable how Ringo used the correct pronouns for her. Yes. Um, the, 1964. Right. Way before people were even expecting anybody to be conscious of that. Right. And the interviewer, in a very, shall I say, period-typical way, brings it up by saying, Well, isn't she the one who used to be a man, changed her sex, and married into nobility? And Ringo says, <laughs> this is cute, she sa- he says, She swears at me, you know, but when she sobers up, she apologizes. <laughs> Which is really cute. And that sounds it's- like John. Yeah. (laughs) I really appreciated how he was respectful of her gender. Yeah, that was cool. And fast forward to 2016. um, Ringo and the All-Star Band actually canceled a show in the state of North Carolina because they, that state had passed um, transphobic public bathroom legislation. HB2 bill. HP2, we'll probably remember that. And he issued this statement on his social media. Ringo Starr has canceled his North Carolina performance in opposition to the passing of HB2. And Ringo states, I'm sorry to disappoint my fans in the area, but we need to take a stand against this hatred, spread peace and love. Uh, This law opens the door to discrimination everywhere by limiting anti-discrimination laws against people based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. And Ringo adds, how sad that they feel this group of people cannot be defended. He asks that we all support organizations that are fighting to overturn this law in whatever way we can. Is Candy saying, let's work together? (laughs) (laughs) And as the Beatles said, all you need is love. Nice. That is nice. Keeping it baby boomer. (laughs) Yeah, gotta (laughs) bring up them old classic rock bands. Yeah, talking to his people. That's good, though. Yeah, that is good. Again, it's like, this is a person who could totally get away with maybe, like, ignoring it or what, you know. Like, it doesn't apply to me, so therefore, ah, what can I do? The people want to see the show. He's leveraging his privilege to protect a marginalized group of people, and I think that's really admirable. It's very cool. And I think it's also a good segue into pointing out that Ringo's always been anti-racist. So Datebook quoted him in 1965 as saying, Segregation is a lot of rubbish. As far as we're (laughs) concerned, people are people no different from each other. We'd never play South Africa if it means a segregated audience. What a lot of rubbish. Amen, Ringo. Yeah. Um, Racial equality is hardly a radical concept, of course, but... When it came to putting their money where their mouths were, the Beatles did refuse to play segregated audiences in 65 and 66. Yeah, I found a little Reuters news blurb from 2011 um, where it was talking about a Beatles contract for a 1965 California concert. Um, Actually had a clause in it saying that they refused to play to segregated audiences. And... um, The Beatles actually took a public stand on civil rights in 1964, according to this article, during their first American tour when they uh, refused to perform a segregated concert at the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Florida, which I do remember they mentioned that in the Eight Days a Week documentary that came out in 2016. Like, we're not just handing out cookies to like, like, oh, great, the Beatles weren't racist assholes like you know (laughs) that's like the baseline where we need to be but just pointing out that like they did actually you know as we said put their money where their mouth was on that so it's not just you know paying lip service right i mean to me it's really admirable that they were more committed to inclusiveness and 
basic human decency than they were to profits. And again, like we're not trying to give them cookies, but we also have to remember that at the time, taking a stand like this was not a popular thing to do, most especially for pop culture icons. They were not really supposed to speak their mind about any kind of social justice or political issue. But what I like is that they would rather stand up for their principles and what they knew was the right thing to do, rather than ensure they'd make money by being passive about the entire thing. I mean, they could have just gone along with whatever and taken the money. Um, But to me, it's an example of a group of guys who knew they had privilege and they leveraged their own privilege to take a stand against racism in whatever way they were able to do at the time. And And consistent with the, I mean... All, you know, all of the Beatles are like this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, they always have been. Like, they're for decent, terrific, egalitarian, humanitarian guys, right? Absolutely. But again, to go back to the whole thing about did Ringo come in because he was not as sexy as Pete Best or was right. it because... <laughs> You know, whatever dumb reason that people come up with. like, <laughs> But I think part of it is, besides him being a badass drummer, obviously, is, like, that he fits into the culture of the Beatles. Yeah. Because he is, you know, because he is a cool, evolved, humanitarian person. I want to talk a little bit about Ringo's technique as a musician as well. I'm not a drummer, but I am a musician, and I know drummers. And my dad is actually a drummer. So I want to just say that Ringo is a really experimental musician, and I don't think a lot of fans appreciate that, but I I think he was just as experimental as the other Beatles and George Martin. So everyone, or at least a lot of the fandom, probably has read somewhere or heard that um, just his being a left-handed person using a right-handed kit was, that was the thing that made him able to develop those signature tom-tom fills. Yeah. uh, Just by virtue of how he had to move his body. Well, no, I was born left-handed. Right. And my grandmother thought that was uh, not a good sign. And so she turned me Mm right-handed. So I write right-handed. Anything else I do, left-handed, uh, golf, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I have a, a right-handed kit that I lead with my left. Uh, and it's, and it's funny it makes it weird because, you know, I need time to, to do a fill. So another interesting thing I've learned is that he also tuned his drums differently. He was really interested in getting a deeper and full-bodied tone out of his drums. So he would do things like adjusting the tuning so that the bottom heads were loosened and the top heads were tightened. And he'd also use implements to muffle the sound of his drums. Uh, For instance, he'd put something small like a pack of cigarettes on the snare, or he'd place tea towels over the toms. He'd remove the front head of the bass drum and put a blanket or pillows in there to change the sound around. Things that people hadn't really done a lot of, he was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see if I can make it sound like that. You know, that's a really innovative and creative kind of thinker. For sure. This was more of a studio technique, um, but his drums would often be close-miked. And then the singers would be recorded with a microphone that could pick up his drums in the background to add another layer of sound. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that was a really cool innovation on the part of George Martin. Uh, So another thing he did was he held his drumsticks differently than most drummers at the time, which also inspired a change in how drummers held their sticks going forward. So at the time, the status quo was the traditional grip, where the left hand held the stick kind of like a chopstick, which was a military adaptation since drums were held at an angle that this that particular hand needed to grip the drumstick that way. And at that time, like jazz drummers and rock drummers were still using this grip. So Ringo popularized holding the sticks in a matched grip, meaning both sticks are held like you would hold a spatula, basically. And this allowed Ringo to create sounds that he couldn't otherwise create using the traditional grip. With Ringo, the drums are not just a beat or a rhythm, they're a voice. 
To me, this requires a high degree of natural, inborn, instinctive musical ability and fluency. And just creativity also. Yeah. And like finding the right sound to fit with the other sounds and just the ability to like to understand the concept of each song mm-hmm. because you know each Beatles song is a different concept yeah absolutely and he had such amazing taste and just such yes. this instinctive sense of where to go with something I don't think that's something you can bottle or create a formula for which is why so many drummers have a lot of trouble imitating his parts <laughs> If you you want to put it in terms of like you know two dimensional art or something, it's like negative space. You know you need he doesn't give you anything you don't need. Yeah, especially for drummers. Like if there's <laughs> if you're talking about like a mediocre band, if you want to <laughs> single out one of the band members, it's probably going to be the drummer who's going to give you more <laughs> than you need, right? Right. Like <laughs> Like, okay, shut up, dude. (laughs) (laughs) What Paul said, like, Ringo never liked to do drum solos. It's like we could never get him to do a drum solo. (laughs) Yeah. He just thought it was too much. You know, it's a God-given gift. I have great time. And I'm not trying to be like the showstopper drummer. I mean, I, I feel the drums are... In its place. That's what they do. And if you're singing, there's no no reason for me to do a fill because you're singing the damn song. But I'll bring you up and I'll bring you down. I'll get crazy with you if you want to. And that's just always how I've felt about drums. It was never the reason to buy a record. It was, oh, listen to the drums. Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and of Nirvana fame called him the king of feel at some point. <laughs> That like, sounds creepy. Like, yeah, the king of feel. It sounds kind of dirty. Like the makeout right? king or something. <laughs> the makeout king. The king of feel. The king of feels. Like <laughs> the second baseman. Yeah. Oh god. Ringo's timing is also super on point. He's like a human metronome. And it's so impeccable that it actually allowed the Beatles to record dozens of takes of the same song. And they'd be able to move a drum track from a different take onto the most ideal take because they were so consistent. So that's pretty awesome. That's very awesome. And helpful. It is helpful. <laughs> it's, it's handy. So I have seen and heard some people on the internet usually. Oh, people on the internet. Not drummers or musicians. Put his drum parts down for being simple. So many of the parts may actually be simple, but they're not all simple. And I would argue that he has good taste, meaning just because his drumming serves each song's individual feel, it's apparent that he's hearing the music itself and giving it the drum part it needs. He's not so concerned about crafting the flashiest drum parts he can. And... Uh -uh. At one point, he has said that when he was growing up, he would listen to an entire song and how all the instruments fit together, not just the drum part, even if the drums were the instrument he was passionate about and the ones that he wanted to play. Yeah, I absolutely believe that because that's how his drum tracks sound. Yeah. I think that's how Paul plays also. Yeah. Him and Paul are remarkably similar to one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, Paul's, uh, his bass lines are, it's like if you listen to them, you're like, holy shit. But if you don't pay attention to them, if you're not listening to them, then it's not like they hit you over the head. Right. They're not too much. They're just what the song needs. They're, they're part of the, like, the tapestry of the song. I'd like to play a clip of something um, with bass and drums isolated.
So I want to talk a little about Ringo in the Beatles, as a Beatle, musically and as a friend of the other guys. Um, when he was their newly minted drummer and George Martin wanted to just stick a session player on their first record, they weren't happy with that. And that didn't fly. So, like, I think they really went to bat for him and were like, you know, no, dude, this is our drummer. Like, if we get to play on the record, he gets to play on the record. Yeah. And I could see where George Martin is coming from, because Mm -hmm. if he's just trying to get a tight sound, they're not a jazz combo. Right. So, you know, he's not really coming from the standpoint where, like, your drummer has to be unique and do his own thing, you know? It's like, he just wants somebody who's going to do... He was following the standards of the time for an A&R professional yeah it's like oh you you know like we have to remember that it was really unique that the Beatles got to play their own instruments in the studio that they weren't just laying down vocal tracks with session players doing all the instrumentation like most bands back then well that's the thing with the Beatles they're not you know it's like they weren't supposed to write their own material Mm -hmm. they weren't supposed to have two lead singers they weren't supposed to you know have all these different experiments in each song it's like they broke a lot of rules along the way like we were saying in another episode it's like they they weren't supposed to all be able to talk and you know be funny and like (laughs) be cute and you know it's usually like you have one or two if you're lucky, you've got one or two cute guys in the band and the rest of them are homely or, you know, whatever. Mm. But it's like to have four cute, funny, smart, witty, creative guys in one band is it's like overload. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They broke every rule. And later on in the band, in the band's trajectory, when Ringo kind of got tired of their shit during the White Album, <laughs> he got fed up. And he, like, disappeared to Sardinia to kind of regroup and figure out what his next move was in life. They were, like, all sending him telegrams, begging him to come back. And when he decided to come back and he returned to the studio, his drum kit was covered in flowers. And I think there might have been, like, a welcome home banner or something. And I love how in Anthology, Paul actually did acknowledge that They'd realized they'd been taking him for granted and not making an effort to let him know that they really appreciated him at that moment. Oh, man. Like, they absolutely didn't want to lose him. He was not considered... I mean, they, by and large, until John said some shit about bringing Clapton in for George, by and large, that notwithstanding, isolated incident, whatever, um... I don't think they considered each other replaceable people. So I think also the other three Beatles really loved him. And in subsequent years, all three of them had nothing but good things to say about him in terms of his personality and his talent as a musician. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he was a vital and essential part of their chemistry and their magic. He was a co-collaborator. He was not just a passive guy sitting there at his drum kit waiting for orders all right so um an interesting fact i found out is that ringo got two number one hits in the u.s before john did Uh, These were both in 1973 with the singles photograph and you're 16 from the ringo album and Imagine peaked at number three in the U.S. when it uh. debuted. So not to pit them against each other or whatever, but for everyone dogging Ringo's solo work, he experienced commercial success in his own right when people didn't expect him to and totally underestimated him. Pretty common knowledge to most people, I think, who are Beatle fans, that Ringo and his wife Barbara did spend some years um, heavily engaging in substance abuse and that Ringo's post Beatles life was pretty chaotic. The celebrity lifestyle was taking its toll. Um, Things for them hit rock bottom when in 1988 they both got blackout drunk one night and they woke up with their house being completely trashed. 
and Barbara was injured, ah. and neither one of them had any memory of what had taken place the night before. Oh god. Yeah, so they promptly checked themselves into a rehab and cleaned up. And as far yes. as the public knows, they have been clean since. Wow. Yeah. So when I was talking about Ringo's intentional living beforehand, I think his next big project in life, the all-star band, um, it was his way of always having some kind of meaningful project in his life as a musician. Uh, his rationale behind the band was like, well, I need to do something to keep myself engaged and what better thing to do than music? And he's credited it for being one of the things, that, uh, other than his love of his wife, Barbara, it's been one of the things that helped him stay sober for going on 30 years. Um, they're still sober to this day, and they're still happily married. Awesome. So good for them. Yeah. And I also want to say, I think Ringo's All-Star Band is an underrated project, but it's incredible. So when so when um, Ringo sings, does he get off from behind the? Mm -hmm. Except when he does the... boys. Like, nice. Yes. Oh, and he's still just as good at that. <laughs> he was wearing shiny leather pants with some kind of like he had like some kind of writing on the butt, and I couldn't make out what oh, it was because he kept moving, <laughs> so I couldn't read it. But it was like in rhinestones. <laughs> oh my. Yes! Tight, tight pants. That all sort of tracks, though. Yeah. But I'm like, <laughs> go Ringo, because he can totally pull it off still. He looks great. And his eyes are so yeah. blue. Yeah, shit. If you're, if, you, if you're 78 and you look good, like how many hot 78-year-olds are there? Like, In not, the world. Not I mean, honestly, that many. That, that's a small club. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's an so, exclusive club. Fucking put the put the pants on, Ringo. Go for it. Yes, forever, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people like busting on his pants. I'm like, fuck you, shut up. You they're wish just, you could wear leather pants. They're jealous. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah. you know what, Grandpa? Just you're just jealous that you can't still pull it off. Like Ringo's not gonna. Ringo's not required to wear Dockers for you, okay? <laughs> Dockers! Amen! Well, we definitely have time then, just for a little fun. To, to talk about Twitter. Yes, to talk about Ringo on the internet, particularly oh, Twitter. God. But my pick is actually a YouTube video I found, but I think it's a bunch of his like Instagram videos cobbled together into one. I'm going to put a link to it on the show notes, and I'm going to play the audio for it right now. Do, 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 do. Strange things in the bushes. Oh, wow. Hey, how you doing? Zoom. What, like, he's got the mirror with his phone, and he's like, look at this cool t-shirt I got. Yes, and it's like a stupid Urban Outfitter shirt. That's the part that I love. It's like... Oh, look at this cool t-shirt I got. Uh, it's in reverse, but it says Jones Beach 64. Yeah, we were all there. Well, we have to talk about his Twitter. Oh, yes, because we his, do. It, I mean, Ringo's Twitter is a very, very special thing. Yes. First of all, the, the, the one thing that you know immediately when you see it is that he is, in fact, tweeting all of these things himself. Yes. <laughs> there is definitely not, like, a PR firm doing this shit. Right. This is just, this is just straight, uncut Ringo. It is all Ringo. Just tweeting, like, a for real 78-year-old person, like, he yes. doesn't proofread shit it's just he puts it in and he posts it and it doesn't even make sense half the time it just reminds me of like if someone's grandpa actually got a twin because he is someone's grandpa okay like absolutely he is so, he is a hot grandpa yes tweeting uh, he's a g dilf <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, I guess he is. <laughs> so, my favorite part of Ringo's Twitter, and there are, there's a lot to love about his Twitter, oh my but my favorite is just, well, he will just randomly, every time he hears a Beatles song on the radio, <laughs> he just tweets about it, a couple of them more than once, Aww. right? 
<laughs> um, Tomorrow Never Knows, Paperback Writer, Your Blues, Get Back, and Oh Darling. He's mentioned all of those at least twice. Aww. So I've I've saved some of my favorite tweets of his. I've got, I've got less than 10, so it's going to be good. I'm just going to read them. Go for it. Like, there's no punctuation or, like, sometimes <laughs> there's just, like, lots of spaces between words for no reason. <laughs> and then there's, like, 700 emoticons to follow what he said. Yes, and everything is punctuated by, like, 50 emojis. So here's one. I just found out it's Plastic Ono Band Day. Hold on. Plus, well, 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 <laughs> peace and love. Aww. Okay, and then there was like a bunch of a bunch of smiley emojis, and like in in the midst of those, there was an elephant, a rhino, yes. and a broccoli. So, <laughs> <laughs> here's another one. This is a good typo one. Yes, light album Friday. He's in love. Okay, <laughs> and it's with a mad day out picture of like all the Beatles where they they've got that cape in front of the rock and they're all cuddling behind the cape. Yes. So it's like when you first look at it, you're like, okay, what's happening? All right, the Beatles are cuddling. Yes, light. The fuck is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I think he's saying something about the light, the white album, and he's talking about himself in the third person. And it's Friday. <laughs> so, so oh, like, I, I think like, about the Cure song "Friday I'm in Love." Well, yeah, so do I. But but why is he saying Friday? He's in love. It's like <laughs> then I start looking at the picture. I'm like, who's in love in this picture? Is it like wait, are the Beatles in love? <laughs> Who? Is he, he's talking about himself. What is going on? Yes. Okay, there was another one. There was, there was a series of tweets. It was like three or four of them. Let's start with the first one. <laughs> This is so guess what I'm hanging out this morning. Yes. I'm on the lemon bars. I'm on the lemon bars? <laughs> I can't even read this. <laughs> I'm hanging out this morning. Yes. I'm on the <laughs> thinking about lemon bars now. <laughs> Hashtag lemon bus. Oh, lemon bus. writer first time in a while it rocks i love it Aww. peace and love Aww. i had to share my excitement and then a bunch of emojis this <laughs> is really so sweet cute. damn <laughs> i love that and i love that paul and ringo both have that reaction <laughs> like every time they hear the beatles they're like fuck yeah <laughs> god damn it we were hot it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome like they both love the beatles so much i love that this was uh, i don't think he even wrote anything he just randomly tweeted a picture of like a sandwich board that said women's <laughs> rights are human rights. <laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. I love him. With like emojis. Yeah, that was super cool. And then there's another one that just says, I love the White Album. This one was so sweet. That's Aww. all he tweeted. <laughs> I love the White Album. And it was this, this amazing picture of... John and Paul in their white suits in India mm -hmm. singing together mm -hmm. with their guitars like on the steps or whatever and Ringo is like sitting to the side of them and just kind of like watching them lovingly Aww. it was so sweet that is amazing <laughs> there's a lot of pictures of him and Joe Walsh 
Yes. And him and Paul. Like, he just loves to tweet pictures of his bros. Mm-hmm. You know? It's so cute. <clears throat> okay, and then I've got two more. <laughs> so, this one is amazing. This was right before the um, Ron Howard Eight Days a Week movie, okay? <laughs> so, he, he tweeted, I'm getting excited. Premiere of Eight Days a Week tonight. My friend Paul and I will be the peace and love. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure he meant to tweet... My friend Paul and I will be there. Yeah. Peace and love. Right. But I but I love that it came out. My friend Paul and I will be the peace and you love. You will be it. Like little subconscious. <laughs> you know. <laughs> be the change you want to see in the world. Be the peace and love. My favorite Ringo tweet recently was a picture from like late 66. Yes. Like, yes. Neil like... and Mal and all the Beatles standing uh-huh. together in a picture. And then Ringo posts that, and they all have a mustache. And he goes, wow, that's a whole lot of mustache. Peace and love. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, my all-time favorite tweet that he's ever sent is that fucking truly adorable picture. There's a there's a um, two pictures side by side. There's a picture of Paul and Ringo back to back. Oh yeah. In like 1963, yes. and then there's another one in like 2018. Yes. And he just wrote some things never change. Aww. And tweeted these pictures together, and they're fucking so adorable. They look like they really do look like brothers. They look, they, do. they look like their mom put them together and made them stand like that. (laughs) (laughs) And that, like, 50 years later, they were recreating the photo. Yes! So that was just, like, a little... That was my little adventure through Ringo's Twitter feed. Yay! Here's to Ringo Starr, Richard Starkey, born in Liverpool. Best drummer in the world. 